If you turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, we'll pick up in verse 6, a message that I've entitled, A Blessing or a Curse. Do you want God's blessing, or would you like to keep what you already have? You may have remembered there are a number of game shows that kind of work on the premise that you, you've won something and you can either keep it or trade it for something else. Well, as a human being, you were born in sin. You were born under the curse. In that sense, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The question is, do you want to keep that or would you rather have God's blessing? Would you rather have his freedom in Christ or do you want to keep what you already have? The Apostle Paul is about to shift from the doctrinal section here of the book of Galatians and he's going to shift towards the applicational but before he does that he's going to make absolutely certain that we understand that God's blessings have always come by faith. Those grace blessings that we have are the same blessings that were available to the great patriarch Abraham. Abraham was not saved by some other means. Abraham didn't come into a right relationship with God some other way. Abraham believed God by faith and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. And the reason this is so important for us as New Testament believers is that if you don't understand this, then you're tempted to think that somehow Abraham came into a right relationship with God by some other way than faith resulting in God's grace and forgiveness of sin. Then maybe Abraham was religious. Abraham couldn't have come by the law because Abraham's life predates even the law. There was no law when Abraham walked the earth. The law of God would come more than a uh, millennia later. So as you look at this passage, there are some things in it that I'm going to encourage you to underline and circle because they are so essential to our understanding of who God is and how he works in this world that if you get this passage, you will never ever again struggle with works. You won't struggle with trying to earn God's favor because God's favor is a gift to you. He loves you that much. Would you pray with me? And we'll pick up in verse six. Father, thank you for the gift of grace. And Lord, in these minutes that we have, would you speak to us? Would you open the eyes of our understanding? Lord, cause our ears to be completely clear of all distraction so that your spirit can move in your church. Bless us and fill us right now so that we can know your great love in Jesus name amen verse 6 just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness notice what it says the great patriarch Abraham when we talk about the Jewish people we talk about Israel Israel is defined actually by one man his name is Jacob amen his name is changed to Israel and he has 12 sons, and from them they adopt Jacob's name, and so they all cumulatively are known as Israel. But the actual story is there were 10 tribes in the north and two in the south. 
10 of those tribes were wiped out. And so all that remained was Judah and Levi, the tribe that has no inheritance. But when we talk about the God that they worshiped, Scripture says that was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. How did they come to know that God? How was it that Abraham, whom I believe Romans chapter 4, and I believe very specifically Hebrews chapter 11 says, is the epitome of someone who lives their life by faith and we will one day see Abraham in heaven. Amen? So if we're going to see him in heaven, how is Abraham getting there? How did he get to heaven? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him, for him, as righteousness. And therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Imagine a Jewish person hearing that. Who's writing it? A Jewish person. Saul of Tarsus, also known as the great apostle Paul, says that the only way someone actually becomes a a son of Abraham is by faith. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, check this out if you've ever wondered how Abraham gets to heaven, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. If you're one of those people that struggles with works, if you're one of those people who believes that you can earn God's favor, if you happen to be struggling with that area of life, would you please get out your highlighter, your red pen, uh, your margin note-taking capability in, in its fullness, and would you track with me these next ver- this next verse and a half? So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For as it is written, cursed is everyone, here it comes, get out your highlighter and your red pen. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law and do them. Whoa. So let's track this together. If you go through the Old Testament and you take all of the known things that God said you must do if you're going to be justified by the law, there are 613 of them. And let me show you how hopeless that is and why the Apostle Paul writes what he writes here by the Holy Spirit. If any of you right now, I want you to raise your hand, if you have cotton and any synthetic fabric on right now, would you please raise your hand? You're all going to hell. You can't blend your fabrics. Any of you happen to love shrimp scampi, raise your hand perishing eternally. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? When he says, do everything that's in the law, it doesn't just mean even the Ten Commandments. 
It means the whole of all the law. That means if your neighbor's dog attacks someone else's dog and it was injured, they have the right to kill you because animals were protected. You see, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, you better believe that if anyone's going to heaven, they're all getting there, we're all getting there by one means, and that is faith in Christ Jesus alone. Amen? So if you're a legalist and you think that you're keeping the law or you think you're perfect in all of your ways, let me remind you that the standard's not your standard, it's God's standard. And God's standard is a little bit higher than yours. Because you can always find somebody who's worse than you, amen? The question is, can you be as good as God? That's the only way you could have even had a chance to be saved by the law. But the fact of the matter is, there is none righteous, not one, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? Here's the good news. Because you're not saved by keeping the law, you're saved by faith resulting in grace, the forgiveness of your sin, and then all of those wonderful things begin to happen. I'm justified by the blood of the Lamb. My price is paid. I'm sanctified by a work of the Holy Spirit indwelling me. I begin, one day I'm even going to be glorified. Think of that one for a second. When you get to heaven, you're going to be like he is. You think you can earn that or do that yourself? I'm telling you, y'all can go to the tub today and stay in there for the next hundred years. You ain't scrubbing the grime of this world off you. It's not happening, Amen. Look what this passage says. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. Underline it. It's not because you belong to a certain church. It isn't because you do a certain thing. It's not because you're baptized. It isn't because you read the Bible. None of those things save you. Now, every one of those things is good. Every one of those things will be a result of you actually knowing the king. You'll want to be baptized. I want to identify with Jesus. I want to read my Bible. I want to know what he wants me to know. I want to pray because I need his help and I want to hear from heaven. But I'm not simply saved because I do anything. I'm saved because I have believed on the only begotten son of God. Amen? Here's why this is important. Notice how it continues. For the just shall live by faith, and yet the law is not of faith. Do you see that? The law just simply tells you how bad the problem is. When I read the Old Testament law, I go, man, I'm doomed. I'm hurting for certain. I'm on the wrong side of this. And and let me extrapolate this out a little bit for you. We live in the country with the most laws of any nation on earth. Have we stopped problems by the laws we have? We have not. Our, Our communities are racked with hatred and pain. We have people impoverished in the wealthiest nation on earth. We have great disparity We have people who do the wrong thing even though we have more laws about doing the wrong thing than have ever existed in human history. 
And we are actually, in some ways, worse for it. Why? Because laws are only for the lawless. The righteous person, the person who doesn't think that way, doesn't need them. So it's an internal problem that we have. It's not an external problem. You can have all the laws in the world, and people still figure out how to do crime. You want to know where some of the worst crime happens? In places where people are already incarcerated. They're under strict guidance every moment of every... They're incarcerated in cells. And they still figure out how to make knives. They still get drugs. They manage to get cell phones. They still have money. Why? Because the heart of man is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. And who can know it? And until one comes to the internal solution, which is faith in Christ Jesus, one's heart remains as you began, which is cursed. That's why. That's why you could incarcerate the whole country and it won't fix the problem. We could all, and frankly, we should probably all be in jail, amen? I mean, I've seen some of you drive, you're picking on me. You should be careful about who you cut off in the parking lot. Because sometimes it's your pastor. But the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us. Check this out. Oh, hallelujah. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Amen? Circle that for us. Because the curse you were born with, that Adam made sure you get, the curse that you were born with, Jesus said, I'll take that curse. And anyone who will believe in me, I will take their curse and I will give them my righteousness. Amen? That's a trade right there. Amen? The reason this is important is because we want to earn our own way. Human beings love to say, well, I deserve that. That's what I should get. I mean, after all, look at me. I mean, I mean, come on. I am awesome. Most people can recognize my awesomeness. I am holy. No, actually, we're wretched sinners, desperately in need of the grace of God, and that comes by you expressing faith by believing in Christ Jesus. That's how the curse is removed from your life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Having become a curse for us, For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Not by the law, in Christ Jesus. That's how Abraham could be told, the entire world is going to be blessed through you. Not because Abraham was a good guy, the dude was a lying cheat. Think about it. Ah, stop my wife. I mean, come on, I mean, like, I'm, look at her. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, I want you to look at this. If you remember the story of the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, there's this crazy thing that happens, earthquake, 
The prison doors are open. The prisoners are all escaping, and Paul and Silas are sitting there. It's kind of like, wow, this is kind of cool. They're looking around. But the Philippian jailer, whose life is on the line because all the prisoners have escaped, he comes running down the stairs. He's ready to kill himself by plunging his body onto his own sword. He asked Paul and Silas, because all night they've been singing. They've been worshiping the Lord. They've been having a little praise service right there. And the Philippian jailer comes down the stairs, and he says, what must I do to be saved? What did Paul and Silas tell him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Notice what he did not say. Well, we've got a 12-week class. (laughs) We need to make sure you get the right translation of the Scriptures into your own language. Are you Phoenician? Well, we have a Phoenician Bible for you. He didn't say, well, you need these steps. He didn't say, well, you know, I mean, it's a prison. We don't have any water, so baptism's out of the question. Sorry, bub. They said, believe. 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 That is just an act of faith. That Philippian jailer knew nothing other than the fact that he had just witnessed in a couple of people's lives the grace of God. And so they simply say, well, believe. That's what we did. And I don't care who you name in the Old Testament. Anybody believe you're going to see Abel in heaven? I do. Cain killed him. Abel did what God asked by faith. You're going to see him there. How about Noah? Anybody think you're going to see Noah in heaven? I do. I believe Noah's in heaven. How did he get there? Well, because he was a great builder. The first ocean liner ever built for animals. He was a rescue guy, okay? He rescued animals. He's going to heaven by rescuing animals. No, he was a sinner that just simply believed God. That's it. How about Isaac? He's on a bunch of sticks and his dad's ready to do him. And by faith, don't harm the lad. The story's the same. The whole Old Testament paints one picture that the only people that you're going to see in heaven are people who, just like the Philippian jailer, simply believed by faith. That's it. Abraham takes off from the Ur of Chaldees. He's going to a land. The Bible says he knows not. He didn't have a fromers. He he didn't get out his, his guide to the Near East. He didn't get out his GPS. Come on, it's this way. He headed to a land he knew not. And they simply trusted God. Why do you suppose that there in Luke 16, this place that Lazarus is dwelling is called Abraham's bosom? Why? Because in that story, and you can read it later, in Luke 16, there's also the rich man. You see, Lazarus, was eating crumbs from the rich man's table and he died in sores and in misery and he was comforted. But the rich man, when he kicked the bucket, 
when he keeled over stone dead, he woke up in a different place. And he wasn't really all that happy about it. And matter of fact, he got out his country club membership card and said, hey, I'm in the wrong place. Why don't you tell Lazarus to come over here and serve me? Your Bible says, no, there's a great gulf fixed between the two of us. And he is being comforted in paradise and you are in torment in Hades. And you can't go to him and he can't come to you. That decision was made when you left earth. Why is that important? Because the only difference is Lazarus believed. The rich man thought he could buy his way in. The rich man thought he'd get there because he was rich. You know why Jesus said it was easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? Because he was distracted with a whole lot of things. Family has always been by faith. Whether you're talking about the time of Abel and Cain or whether you're talking about today, there is only one way that anyone can be saved and that is by believing in the only begotten Son of God. That's it. So Paul begins his argument with the Old Testament. He says, look, this is the deal. Here it is. There's only one way to get there. That's why when Jesus began to argue with the Pharisees in John chapter 8, there's this crazy thing that goes on, and they're going, well, you know, we haven't ever been in bondage to anyone. And yes, I'm kind of acting this out, but that's just who I am. And so you can kind of say, I'm trying to be a Pharisee right now. It's a little bit hard for me. I don't have the robe or anything. But nonetheless, the Pharisees are going, look, you know, we know the one true God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they're saying, look, we got, we got like a special in with God. He's actually our God. You need to come our way. And Jesus said to them, we have a problem here. Because not only were you in bondage, you've always been in bondage. And any right-thinking Jewish person would have gone, hmm, you know, there's some truth to that. This whole we haven't been in bondage thing, hey, Pharisees, you might not want to say that because they're thinking back on their own history. Uh, where were they with the Babylonians? Bondage. What happened with the Assyrians? Bondage. Where were they at the moment those words were spoken? Bondage. The truth of the matter is they had deceived themselves into thinking they'd never been in bondage when in fact they had always been in bondage. Where were they in Egypt? Bondage. You see, when someone thinks that they're good enough simply because they're born into a certain group of people and the law can do it, all of a sudden they make their own way to God. And that own way is futility because God said, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Doesn't say if you're religious. Doesn't say if you keep the law. In fact, this passage says you can't keep the whole law. It's impossible. Jesus eventually will go on and say to them something you really don't want to have Jesus say to you. You are of your father, the devil. You see, they were making an argument that was from absence. They were saying, well, because we standing here right now, nobody's oppressing us, didn't mean that they weren't in bondage. 
Yeah, absolutely we're in bondage. And so when you look at Abraham's life, whom is the reference point in the book of Hebrews, you have to ask the question, how did Abraham get right with God? He got right with God the same way you get right with God, the same way everyone's ever gotten right with God, and that is simply by trusting him by faith. And when you trust him by faith, God then gives you grace, unmerited favor. The unmerited favor bears itself out by the forgiveness of your sin. The forgiveness of your sin wipes your slate clean so that you're justified. And because you're justified, you begin to be sanctified. And because you're sanctified, you become mature. And because you're mature, one day you're going to go to heaven and be glorified. Amen? Amen? That's how it happens. It isn't because of religion. It's not because of works. Because by the works of the flesh is no one justified. This is one of those things that we struggle with as human beings. And so whether it's the Old Testament or the New, genuine faith will then produce in you those things that people think actually bring about salvation. What happens to you and what happens to me is we begin to do the work of the law because we believe in the assurance of things hoped for. Because we have a conviction of the things we can't see. That's what faith actually is. I know in whom I have believed that he is able to keep that which he's committed to the day of Christ Jesus. Somebody asked me, are you going to heaven? I go, yes, I am. I don't go, well, you know, maybe. I hope so. I am going to heaven. The Bible says if you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved, amen? If there's only two places you can go, one that's cursed and damned and one that's blessed and not stressed, I'm going to the blessed, not stressed place because I put my faith in Jesus, amen? We have to get this church, family, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You do not want what you already have because you already have the curse. You're already cursed. Without Jesus, you have the curse. You're born with it. The question is, do you want the blessing? I want the blessing. I I want to see my account wiped clean. So Jesus takes the curse for me. You see, Jesus is the only one that could take the curse for me. By keeping the law, I could never take care of the curse myself. I couldn't live long enough, nor would I be holy enough, because the standard is God's perfection. It's his perfect righteousness. And so I have to simply believe. I have to rest. I have to trust. I look at my own life, and while I would like to think that I am a bit more righteous than I've ever been, really in my entire existence as a human being. When I compare myself to God, it's like I'm down here on the bottom of the totem pole somewhere. I haven't arrived yet. And for many of you, I know you can look at your own life if you'll simply be truthful and honest with yourself and you can say exactly the same thing. You're doing way better in some areas And there are some areas of your life that if people actually could see what you're thinking right now, you'd be running out the doors. You know exactly what I'm saying, don't you? 
And I'm not asking for any hands, and please don't even applaud or do anything. But there in this room is nothing but a room full of sinners who are still sinning. And you better hope that you're saved by grace through faith rather than your own works because you're messing up right now. You're probably going, well, he's two minutes over. You're looking at your watch going. We had some extra things going on. I get an extra five minutes. You're going to live. That's why we have a positive hope. We have the blessing of Jesus, amen? It is Christ who's redeemed us from the curse of the law. I don't want the original curse. And if I will have Christ, he will exonerate me from the penalty of my sin. He'll take care of paying the price for me. Now, that's got to be really hard for a Jewish person to realize because they had developed this very intense religious setting whereby if you did a certain system of things, you would be okay with God, at least temporarily. And then Jesus comes along and says, we're scrapping the Old Testament, the covenant that is presented there, not the righteousness of the law, but the means whereby you're going to identify with God And now it's no longer by the law and all of these works that you're going to identify, you're simply going to believe and be saved. And they're going, wait a second. I mean, have you seen our temple? Have you checked out our feast days? You ever been in Jerusalem on Passover? Let's modernize it. Have you ever been to an Easter sunrise service? Did you go to the candlelight service for Christmas Eve? I've actually had people go, well, you know, I mean, we've always done that. Yes, that may be true, but you know what? You're not saved by candlelight services. You're not going to heaven because of Easter sunrise services. You're not a Christian simply, you're not a C-N-E Christian, Christmas and Easter. You're saved because you believed in the only begotten Son of God. Amen? Amen? And then what happens is your whole life changes. The internal change that we all need becomes our reality. Jesus was not cursed and then crucified. He he became the curse for us. And so in that sense, he didn't become the curse because he was crucified, which is the Jewish way of looking at it. Cursed is anyone who hangs on, he's on a tree, he's cursed. No, Jesus said, I'll willingly take the original curse for anyone who will believe in me. Give me the curse. Give them freedom. And so Christ did that. And so he willingly absorbed your punishment. He took upon himself the sins of the world so that those that believe in him by faith would be saved. That's the beauty of this whole thing. And so he becomes cursed. In other words, circle, if you were, the two words for us. Jesus was cursed for me. Jesus was cursed for you. He was not cursed himself. He was cursed because of me. He took the curse. Oh, and how I praise God that Jesus 
looked at my miserable life and said, I will take Jeff's sin. I'll absorb, Father, pour it on me. If this will save Jeff, then give me his sin. I'll take everything that's owed to him on his account. Give me every lash necessary, every drop of blood. You let me spill it, Lord, and I'll spill it. You you see, Jesus took that voluntarily. So he asked you voluntarily to believe he took it for you voluntarily. He doesn't force you. He didn't cram it into a religious setting. He said, believe in me. And you'll be saved. He was literally cursed for us so that he could give us a gift. I'm going to ask you to stand right now if you would. I know what Jude says that one day I'm going to stand in the glory of his presence blameless. Not because I pastored a church. Not because I've spent a vast majority of my adult life in full-time ministry. One day I'm going to stand before a holy God blameless because Christ died for me on Calvary's cross. And he justified me. That the righteousness I have will be his righteousness poured out on my life. God won't let you stay in the state that you're in. You can't get into heaven the way you are without him. So he's made it a gift to anyone who will ask. To anyone, to all who call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you don't know Jesus, do you want to be saved? Do you want to know Christ? If you'd bow your heads with me, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've never said yes to him, and you want to know that you know that you know that you are going to heaven, if you want to get rid of the curse and take the blessing, then I want you to simply just raise your hand right now. And we're going to pray together. Anyone at all, anywhere in the building, if you want to know Jesus, I see that hand in the back. Praise the Lord. Are there any others? You, you simply are tired of living life apart from God, and you know you can't do it on your own strength. I see this hand in the middle as well. I see this other hand in the back to my right. Look, I, I can't do this for you. If I, if I could, I would, but I can't. I see this hand in the front. Praise God. I see this other hand to my right and another one to my left. Anyone at all? I see this hand in the front. Praise God. Praise God. I see these two hands to my left in the front. Look, Jesus is calling you right now to get rid of the curse by giving it to him. And if you want to know him, he wants to dwell in you and empower you and set you free from the bondage of sin and death which is your current state without him. There are hands up all over the sanctuary, and God sees every last one of them. He even sees the ones that haven't raised their hand yet, but you want to. I'm just going to ask you, be bold for him. He's been bold for you. He died publicly on a cross. Confess him publicly right now by raising your hand. I see his hand over here to my left. Those of you that have raised your hands, 
This is the part that you have to do because you do have to believe and you have to profess that he is Lord. And so I'm going to lead you in a short prayer. If you would just pray out loud these words, they have to come from you to God. And so would you pray with me these words? Dear God in heaven, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for the life that I've lived and I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died on Calvary's cross for me and that your blood can cleanse my sin. I'm willing to turn from that sin. I'm confessing you right now as my Lord and Savior. I'm asking you to come into my heart. Help me to believe in you. And Lord, as I believe in you, I know you'll fill my life with grace. Help me to live my life from this day forward for your kingdom. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the family of God.